Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And as always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. We're going to have a great show today. It's a little bit heavy. So for all of our listeners, just a little bit of a trigger warning, as they say nowadays, um, we're going to talk about abortion and we're going to talk about what's going on with this topic today in today's day and age. What's the scoop with everything on the news? We're going to read some headlines and then we're going to take a little bit of a different twist because I want to take this, the argument, if you will, back a little bit and say, how did we get here to begin with? How can we start thinking like Catholics on the topic in order to make sure that we understand it correctly and see where does our responsibility lie? What is it that's going on? And how can we approach it when we have a discussion about it? I don't want to say argument because Quite frankly, if we, as we, you're going to see, we're going to talk, there is really no abortion argument. We're having two different conversations. Uh, if somebody says that they're in favor of abortions taking place versus somebody says they're not in favor of abortions taking place, it's really two different conversations coming from different perspectives. But before we get started, let's go ahead and start with the Regina Celli. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice, alleluia, for he whom you did merit to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, Alleluia. Pray for us to God, Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary, Alleluia. For the Lord has truly risen, Alleluia. Let us pray. O God, who gave joy to the world through the resurrection of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, grant we beseech thee that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, his mother, we may obtain the joys of everlasting life through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray a prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, first off, I want to thank anybody and everybody who... Uh, joined us for our conference this past weekend on marriage and the family. I think it was a great conference. Really enjoyed doing it. Great talks by Mary, Danielle, and Terry. Honestly speaking, I love our love our team there, and I love that we're just talking straight talk on the faith with charity as always. I want to thank anybody who was uh, online uh, following us on Saturday. It was it was just a wonderful conference. Enjoyed talking to everybody there. Uh, answering questions, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful event on the family, which is really what made me think about, gosh, we got to really, if we're going to talk about the family, and I'm seeing what's going on in the news today, we really have to discuss the topic of abortion. Now, one of the twists that we're going to talk about on our show is, if we're going to talk about abortion, I want to do it from a man's perspective in the sense that a lot of people will say, well, what do you know about abortion? You don't have to carry the baby. You're not the one who has the abortion. No, but on the second half of the show, we got to talk about there's a sure way baby got there and it didn't involve a man at a certain level. Uh, Regardless of what you want to say, uh, there was a man and a woman involved to make this baby. And my question is always, where are the fathers? Where's the father of this baby who you know, women are fighting for abortion rights for, and, and let's go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, but where are the dads? Where are they talking? Where where are they hiding? What are they doing? Uh, we don't hear from the dads at all. We don't hear from men at all. And we got to get a Catholic perspective on that. With that in mind, I also want to talk about 
Uh, let's not forget what we have coming up here, uh, the men's conference, which ties right into that. It's going to be Saturday, June 18th, 2022, uh, right here at the uh, Sacred Heart Chapel uh, in Covina. Um, that's 381 West Center Street in Covina, California. If you want to join, you can click online to register, $35. You're going to have speakers like Jesse Romero, Terry Barber, Ruben Nava. I think it's going to be a great conference. I myself am going to, am going to try to be there. Uh, I always enjoy talking to people, and if anybody's there, um, you know, and you want to have a sidebar conversation, have questions, let us know. Uh, the other thing I want to remind people of is that we do have our fellowship meal every first Saturday at the Sa historic Sacred Heart Chapel. Again, that's 381 West Center Street in Covina, California. Starts at 3 p.m. with the Divine uh, Mystery Chaplet, with the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Uh, 3:15 with a Rosary of Reparation. There's going to be reflection uh, on the lady on the messages of Fatima at 3:45, followed by confessions at 4, Mass at 5, and 6 o'clock, 6:15. Full days gathering. It sounds like a lot. It is a lot. And guess what? It's only packed into about three, four hours of your afternoon. That's a whole lot of prayer, a whole lot of high information Catholic um, opportunity for us as Catholics to be able to fulfill our first Saturday uh, prayer mission, our first Saturday obligation to Our Lady as she asks us to do uh, in Fatima. So keep all those things in mind. Well, Let's get started with this topic of abortion. Hot topic right now. As we know, there was a leak uh, from the Supreme Court uh, in terms of what the just justices were thinking when it came time to make a decision. Do we overturn Roe versus Wade or not? And what does that mean? So with the leaked document, it appears that the justices are indeed going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, <clears throat> Justice Kennedy came out and said that even with the leaked document, it's not going to change their opinions. It doesn't seem like it's going to change the way the justices are going to vote. Uh, and at the end of the day, if it gets overturned at the Supreme Court level, what does it matter? Does it really matter? What does that mean? All of a sudden, a lot of people say, oh my goodness, if they overturn Roe versus Wade, there are no longer going to be any abortions. That's not the case. You got to understand the way the law works. If the Supreme Court says, no, you know, we're not going to handle this, we're going to overturn it, we are not going to make a decision here at the federal level. All that means is that the laws and the decisions now become the responsibility of each individual state. So can individual states say no more abortions? Absolutely. So that's really up to the state, up to the governors, up to the governing and voting bodies of each state. And they can decide all of a sudden, you know, there's not going to be any abortions in my state. And uh, we, we're not going to allow anybody to come in from other states, other states that say, yeah, you know, we're going to allow abortion. That's fine. We're going to do it with certain stipulations. They might say nobody from an outside state, it's only going to be from us. Or they can probably say, you know, anybody can come here for an abortion. There's all different levels of what can happen uh, if, this, if indeed the Supreme Court does go ahead and vote down Roe versus Wade. So that being the case, it doesn't mean that abortion is gone. It means that we still have work to do if we say that we're going to not want abortions in our country, if we say that we're not going to want uh, these procedures. And it's not over yet. But a lot of people feel that way. Why is this important to consider? Because if people don't understand the laws, then we have situations like this. I'm just going to read some headlines. Uh, this headline says, a reporter calls for violence against pro-lifers, says they shouldn't have peace or safety until they're dead. That's pretty ironic. Isn't that pretty ironic? If we're a pro-life, if we're part of the pro-life movement, pro-life group, abortion should never be done. A child is a child from the moment of conception. It's a person. Then what's going on here? We're saying we don't want anybody to be killed. 
people on the other side are already are calling for your head on a stake, right? They're saying there's no peace or safety until you're dead. So there's this whole threat of death right there. You're letting me know that you're on the side of, of getting, doing whatever you want to do to get your point across, even if it means, you know, ending somebody else's life. Well, tell me something, abortion at the end of the day, is it or is it not ending somebody's life? Is it a human being or not? That's one of the arguments that people will have. And like I said, I really don't see much of an argument. I'll tell you why. As a physician, if a woman showed up to, say, when I was practicing family medicine clinics, if they showed up and they said, Dr. Uh, Dr. Sandoval, I'm pregnant, uh, at least I, I've missed my period, and I think I'm pregnant, what can we do? All right, the first thing you do, you come in, and we do a pregnancy test, obviously. We might do other blood work. We might do a general physical or a checkup right at that point and say, well, let's find out if you're pregnant or not. Okay, let's run the pregnancy test. Pregnancy comes back and it's positive. It means you're pregnant. Normally, you would say, congratulations. As a physician, you would say, guess what? You're pregnant. You have a baby. Why would I say that? Because from that moment on, all of a sudden, by law, I don't have just one patient. I have two patients. I have to advise that mom. Now we call her a mom. I have to advise her on how to take care of herself and her baby. I have to let her know what to eat, what to look out for, what not to eat, don't drink alcohol, you know, how are you doing health-wise, this is what you should expect as your baby continues to grow in your womb, but I have to give her advice on, on, on her baby. I have two patients at that point to take care of. If it weren't a human being, what am I doing? I'm, I don't take care, uh, as a physician, I don't take care of animals, I'm not a veterinarian, I don't take care of a patient that's not there, I don't take care of anybody but human beings from the womb to the tomb right? From the moment of conception to the moment of death. As soon as I'm, my obligation is there, as soon as that mom knows she's pregnant, to let her know, how do you take care of this little person in your womb? Now, this is why I say there's no argument, because the reality is, in this country, women have a right to decide, you know what? I don't want this little person in my womb. And all of a sudden, it becomes very touchy. Now, people don't want to use certain words like baby. You go back to the biological terms of embryo and fetus. You know, there's plenty of bi biological terms that we use. They're not bad. It lets me know what stage people are at. You know, there's the biological term of a newborn, of a toddler, of an adolescent. You know, there's all these different biological terms that let us know what stage or what age the human being is at. Embryo, fetus, it lets me know what stage that human being is at. But is it still a baby? Sure. The same way a newborn is a baby, the same way a toddler is a baby, it's still the baby stage. Normally, we're in baby stage, and then we go to the child stage, say in elementary school, preschool, kindergarten. We no longer say babies, but sometimes we do, depending on what level we're at. And then we go from that to like junior high, where we say, now we're adolescents. These are all technical terms for what we call a human being, a person at different stages of life. As soon as a mom tells me she's pregnant as a physician, I got to take care of two patients now. There's no question about that. And I remember when I was doing my OB rotations, it was the same thing. You know, moms would come in and they would come say to the emergency department or urgent care because they were worried. They fell down. They weren't sure if they felt the baby moving or not anymore. And our attendings, our, the, the big chief docs always reminded us, look, you're taking care of two patients. You got to take care of the mom, make sure she's okay. And you got to take care of the baby, make sure they're okay. So whenever you came back, you had separate vital signs. You had separate things you were looking for for each because even the medical community recognizes these are two babies. Women have a lot of power, however, and if they decide, I don't want to carry this pregnancy to term, all of a sudden we switch our terms. And we decide, well, it's her right to choose as a woman. And sadly speaking, the law gives her that right. More when we come back from the break on what does that mean and where are the dads? More of this after the break. 
All right. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about what's going on in the country with the topic of abortion. This has been a big political uproar recently uh, with the idea that Roe versus Wade might be overturned by the Supreme Court. And a lot of people don't like that. You know, you have different people saying these are fundamental rights that have been in law for 50 years for women. And how dare we get rid of them? If they were a fundamental right, they wouldn't necessarily have to be in law. They would just be. Fundamental rights were given to us by God, not by the Supreme Court. And the reality is, if we look at the design of the human body, if we look at the design of the female body, the whole reason for the female uterus is to give life. That's all there is to it. For the break, I was talking a little bit about what happens in the medical clinic, what happens when a woman comes in and says she's pregnant, or she's been pregnant for a while and she's worried about, did I fall on my baby? Did I fall down and hurt my baby? Did, uh, you know, I'm, I don't feel things the same way. Um, it's interesting to think of it that way because at the end of the day, we're always told you have two patients, but there's a caveat. You have two patients unless, unless the woman all of a sudden doesn't want to keep this child, then all of a sudden it becomes, well, you know, we don't want to talk about it as a person. Then we debate about whether it's a person or not. You know, there's a, there's a mixed message there because if you don't take care of this baby and you don't do right by it. When the woman wants it, you could get sued if you didn't do a good job as a physician and look for all the vital signs, make sure that the mom was okay, make sure that the baby was healthy and make sure that there was no bleeding out and you're preserving this life. There's no question about it at that point, unless the mom chooses otherwise. Women have a lot of power in this country. They have that power to decide, you know what? I don't want it. Okay. Now we don't talk about it as a baby. Boy, this is a hard choice for her. Let's support her. Let's not talk about this baby anymore. It's a very, very mixed message. Interesting because one of the politicians from New York uh, was saying, and she was trying to speak directly to men recently in, in this article of quotes. Uh, she says, imagine you do not have authority over your own body for 10 months not sure what she means by that. I mean, I know what she's trying to convey by that. You don't have authority over your body for 10 months, but the reality is you got pregnant somehow, some way. Now people are going to argue rape and incest. I'm not going to talk about those cases. Those are sensitive topics. I still don't believe abortion should be performed at that point, but is that the majority of abortions that are performed in this country? No. Let's give me some statistics. The majority of abortions performed in this country are strictly for birth control. Let's be honest. Somebody does not want to have this pregnancy and they want to have the right to not have this pregnancy. Well, the right is there. The choice is there because the law has allowed it. Doctors aren't getting arrested for performing abortions. Moms aren't getting arrested for having abortions done. You know, there's no question about it. The law is already on their side. Why the fear of losing this so much? The argument, like in this case that I just read, imagine you do not have authority over your own body for 10 months. How can you not have authority over your own body for 10 months? I think you made that decision early on. Let's just say somebody who chose to, you know, engage in sexual relations and got pregnant. Oh gosh, the, you know, the birth control didn't work or, oh, you know, this happened. The, the man uh, used his form of birth control of a prophylactic and that didn't work. Well, that's fine, but you were performing an act that's very natural that its natural end is pregnancy. And the woman's body was made to be pregnant. You knew what you were doing. All of a sudden now you're gonna concern yourself that you didn't have control over your body for 10 months. I think the problem is you didn't have over control over your body at the moment of conception because you chose to control it in a different way. And now this natural end comes across and you're saying, oh, this shouldn't be, this, should, this is not right. I shouldn't have these consequences. It doesn't work that way. You're just trying to go against nature. Okay. So that's one, you know, tell the men to imagine 
not having control over their bodies? Eh, I think it's a bit of a weak argument because the reality of life is you knew you could have gotten pregnant. What's going on here? Pregnancy, however, is seen as something evil. Pregnancy is seen, seen as something optional, really, more than anything else. I should be able to go out and have fun. I should be able to have intimacy, or I should be able to decide when I have a child or not. That was decided at the moment of intimacy. That's really the, the, the point. Anytime you're going to have intimacy, there's the risk. And the risk, hopefully, this is why the Catholic Church, what do we teach? The risk is not a risk if it's within marriage. If it's something that you're, you're getting married, you're risking having a family because that's what's expected. That's what's obliged. When you do this outside of having the family, now you start to have problems. Now you have to start issues. It becomes such a political issue that even people at the highest levels of politics are saying things like uh, that the protesters are using righteous anger to march and mobilize as the Supreme Court is set to overturn Roe versus Wade. So now if there is protesting going on, which is what we're concerned as Catholics, why? Because we're being attacked. And all of a sudden, the Catholic Church is being attacked. This past weekend, there was a question of, do we go attack Catholic churches? Catholic churches were on alert. Be careful. There were attacks over at St. Patrick's in New York City, right? And it's being justified as righteous anger uh, and telling people that they have the right to march and mobilize against Catholic churches uh, in order to be heard. You know, it's interesting because last I heard, if there was a marching and a mobilizing or anything along those lines against the government, building or something it was considered illegal or, or, or considered cautious or there was a lot of danger that could be associated with it, especially if a politician is greenlighting it. Now we want to be careful. We want to be careful listening to this because we have high levels of, of politicians saying, you know, we got to we got to do this. And they're saying, you know, that they should fight relentlessly to enshrine Roe versus Wade as a law of the land. Enshrine it. Here's the kicker. Two things that I noticed with this. The politicians who are either being silent or supporting this claim to be Catholic. They, I say that they claim to be Catholic, or I should say they claim to be practicing Catholics. I don't doubt that they're Catholic. You, people say, Dr. Sandoval, how can you say that they're Catholic? Well, in order to be Catholic, you just have to have the three sacraments of initiation. Were they baptized? Have they received their first Holy Communion? Were they confirmed in the faith? Well, if you're there, you're Catholic. Even if you're just baptized, you could say, I've been baptized Catholic. The question is, am I practicing the Catholic faith? Well, some of our politicians who say that they're Catholic have used that as part of their uh, race towards their political positions. They're either not saying much. They're not saying, hey, you can't attack the Catholic churches for their belief. They're allowed to have that belief. Or they're saying, yeah, you kind of got to attack the churches because, gosh, you need to be heard. All right. That's one uh, source of contention. You know, it's, it's an issue. What about the other source of contention? Well, why the Catholic Church? I think in many ways, as Catholics, we can hold our head up high because we get shocked and we get surprised and we get scared because, oh my goodness, they're going to attack the Catholic Church. It's the only church I hear that they're attacking. I don't hear any attacks on any other Christian-based faith other than the Catholic Church. All I hear is we're going to attack and protest the Catholic Churches. Why? All that tells me, and it just reassures me 100%, is that the Catholic Church is the truth. That regardless of what people want to say, the Catholic Church holds the truth of the faith. And it's this battle between do we allow abortions under the guise of this is the right of a woman to her body and whatnot. And yeah, I'm not telling the woman that they don't have a right to their body. But now you have a baby. You have a separate patient in there. You have a separate person in there who doctors need to take care of. 
right? They take care of a new of a new person. We don't take care of anything inside of you. That's not a new person. You're going to hear the rhetoric, oh, this is a cancer. These are just tissue cells that are growing. If it's a cancer, I would operate and take it out. I wouldn't say, let's wait nine months to see what happens to it. But if it's a baby, if it's a human being, we know that if it stays there, we wait for nine months, guess what? We're going to have a new life. There's no question about that. And the reality is we can argue it any way we want, but it's the life. It's a, it's a person. And to give you the right to choose to end that life, well, we've got to ask ourselves, are we killing a baby or not? I'll let you answer that question. It's a pretty obvious answer. And the argument, that's why I say there's no argument. Nowadays, it's the more a matter of, I want to have the right to end this baby's life. That's really what it comes down to. A lot of people won't argue anymore that, oh, it's not a life, that we don't know when it turns into a human being. I'm telling you, from the moment of conception, if you're a physician, you know you got to take care of this baby and you got to give mom a baby's advice on how to take care of it. You got to say, hey, this is what you got to eat. This is what you got to do. Don't do these things or those things. So that's an important thing to consider with these arguments. Why attack the Catholic Church? Why not any other church? We're the truth. That's the bottom line. So it's the it's the Church of Christ, and Christ said, "I'm never leaving it. This is always going to be on Earth, and as long as you're there, I'm right there with you." Christ was attacked for speaking the truth. The Catholic Church will always be attacked for speaking the truth. You can we can always argue and be concerned with, well, that priest didn't say this, or that priest is is wrong, or yeah, we're talking about human beings. You know, this is where we say charity with clarity, because if a priest is doing or saying something that we don't agree with, or we know is not what Christ would say or not following the tenets of the Catholic faith. You know, who knows how many priests might even be in favor of the abortion laws. We don't know that. I, don't, I haven't heard anybody specifically yet, but it might happen. Very quiet. The bishops, right now they're very quiet. I haven't heard any bishop uh, come out straight out on the news and, and, and say, hey, we got to stop this because this is why we believe this. Don't attack Catholic churches. I've yet to hear to, to have heard that. If anybody has, let me know. You know, send me an email. Let me know that uh, uh, what's going on there. The reality is um, the church will always be attacked because it's going to be the last bastion of truth. So I don't want us to be too shocked by that. In church last Sunday, I heard the priest speaking to us and saying, we don't curse people if they're going to attack us. We don't attack them back. We bless, we pray, and we hope, right? So that's that's also why it's very tempting to attack a Catholic church because they know that for the most part, we're not going to attack back. We're going to have peaceful protests. We're going to defend ourselves if we need to. We always have to, just like we're talking about babies and defending life, we're going to need to defend ourselves as well. But if we're being attacked, we want to bless everybody. We don't want to curse them because we got to remember, these are every, we're all children of God, regardless of where we are on this planet, regardless of our ideologies, we are still very much all children of God. Now, one of the things that's always been concerning to me, and this is, um, I couldn't believe it was so bold, and this is from, right now we're talking about what's going on with Roe versus Wade, but this is from last September, so September 2021. A few articles came out at the time um, because the state of Texas was challenging abortion uh, just as a state and abortion laws. And a particular group who always seems to creep up, um, the Satanic Temple showed up, and they said um, that they use the products of abortion. Well, at that time, they were fighting to have a couple medications. So they were fighting to have uh, mifepristone and misoprostol. And these two drugs, these are the ones that can uh, end an abortion early, uh, or that, I'm sorry, and terminate a pregnancy early. They're the ones that sometimes we call plan B and you're going to end that, the pregnancy, and you're going to have all the products of conception, as we say, come out of the female. And this is what they said. They said that the members of their temple use these products in a sacramental setting. 
I don't know what they do for a sacramental setting, but if the satanic temple is saying that they want these products, that tells me something's off. Something's not right. Something's on the other side of things, right? And they also said this, and this is what the key was. This is what should be alarming for anybody who wants to follow Christ, who says that they're Christian, who wants to follow the truth or know the truth, and at any point says that, you know, abortion's okay or abortion's right. The bottom line is I got to go with God laws. You know, I got to go with the laws that we know are true in natural law, the way God set us up, the way God set up our bodies, the way God meant for our bodies to be used. This is what they said. The satanic abortion ritual is a sacrament which surrounds and includes the abortive act. So again, they already call it a satanic abortion ritual. They consider it a sacrament. Is it mocking of our sacraments? Of course, because that's what any church of Satan is going to do. They're going to mock the Catholic church because, again, we are the truth. They say that it is designed to combat feelings of guilt, doubt, and shame and empower the member to assert or reassert power and control over their own body and mind. I worry a little bit when the satanic temple sounds like other people talking in the news, talking about empowering over your body again, as though you didn't have power during that pregnancy. A woman has a lot of power, but what I always tell uh, any woman that wants to talk about this topic, made a choice right at that moment of conception. More after the break. All right. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Hope you're enjoying our content. If you do, please go on to our website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org, and help us with donations so we can keep the apostolate going. It's always a pleasure to be working with great Catholics, people who want to talk about the faith, people who want to have an open discussion of the faith with charity and clarity, but really the facts. And today we're just talking about the facts. Hot topic issue on abortion. Lots going on with that. First half of the show, we kind of discussed a little bit about what's going on. What are politicians saying? Do we feel safe as Catholics? Why is it that we're going to be attacked since we are Catholics? And the bottom line is we want to talk about the truth. We want to carry the truth. Um, and the truth is that abortion is always going to be ending of a human life. We didn't set up the laws. God did. And under natural law, you can't go wrong realizing that. You, you, there's no other option. Um, but But I want to change the conversation a little bit. Because whenever we talk about abortion, we're talking about women's rights, we're talking about ending the life of a child, we're talking about what does this mean, we're talking about the laws that either favor or don't favor, my biggest concern is where are the dads? That baby didn't get there by itself. You know, it didn't, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you want to cut it, no matter what you, explanation you want to give, that baby did not get there by itself. And dads in today's society, we're getting a bit of a mixed message, right? So on the one hand, we're hearing things like there's this toxic masculinity, men are bad, there's all this aggression, they're socially dominant, um, men are just misogynistic, um, you know, they should be considered, uh, I don't know, we got to change our styles, we have to be less masculine, we have to, um, we, you know, we're the perpetrators of all these assaults and all these different things, and that societies really shouldn't be ruled by men is, is, is kind of the argument. We've always had a man in our White House. We, have, we are a patriarchal, our patriarchal society here in the United States. That's something to consider. Um, and our faith, if we're going to look at it from a Catholic perspective, we talk about the patriarchs. We talk about how it was set up uh, having men as leaders. We've always had a pope. We've always had priests that are men. St. Pope John Paul II put 
pretty much the kibosh on any ideas of a woman being ordained to priesthood because Christ himself set up a man-led church. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that women are not important. We talk about the families now, and if we're going to talk about the families in view of protecting life, we got to look at who did God set up as the head of the family? Obviously, let's go back to the book of Genesis. The very first thing God did is he started creating the world. And then if we look at the second account of creation, he creates Adam first. Then he starts to create all the animals and the birds of the land. And he brings them to Adam to name them. Obviously, Adam has dominion over them, but none of them were a suitable partner. God said, let's make Adam a suitable partner. And all of a sudden, what does he do? He creates Eve. He takes that rib out of the side of Adam and creates Eve. I remember God made man first. Why? Because man is better? No, not at all. Quite the opposite. God keeps perfecting things as he goes. And if we think like Catholics, if we're going to look at this story of creation from a Catholic perspective, why would God create man first before he created woman? God would never create something and then all of a sudden make something lesser. In fact, if we look at it, a woman actually might have a higher place than a man if you want to have a certain perspective. Why? Because a woman can do something that a man can't do. A woman can carry life. That's the whole purpose. That's the only reason for the organ of the womb, the uterus. It's strictly to carry life. That's all there is to it. There's no other question about it. It has no other purpose other than to carry life. Why would God have made man first? And why would God have made man different from woman? Well, he wants us men and women to participate together in creation. But if we notice, men are different, men are different from women, whether we like it or not. I tell you, as a physician, you can't do the same exam on a man that you would on a woman. The other thing that we look at is a man, is a man more powerful than a woman physically? A man has more muscle mass, and whether we like it or not, a man will be physically stronger than a woman. People argue about sports, and some men feel that they're women and that they want to participate in the women's sports, and that's great. But what do they have to do? Can they just go over there and start to, start to participate? No, they have to decrease their testosterone level. They have to decrease their strength level because obviously men are different from women. They're naturally going to have just a greater strength, greater muscle mass. And then we ask ourselves, this is what I ask myself, why would God make man stronger than women physically? Why? Are women more vulnerable? No. It's not that they're more vulnerable if we look at it from a pure strength perspective, unless they're going to be attacked. But women do carry life. God made a woman more delicate, shall we say, in that sense, not as physically strong as a man, because God made us to protect women. God made men to protect women. So I wonder if women feel like they need to have abortions, where are the men? Where are the men who either participated in this pregnancy or our responsibility to protect women and to let women know, no, we don't think this is the best way to go. We don't think that killing a baby is the best way to go. We think that you need to carry this out to fruition in your womb because this is what God wanted, right? It goes back to the Adam and Eve situation. Eve ate the apple. Adam wasn't there to correct, to change, to protect. He ate the apple as well. Then what does God do? Does God say, Eve, where are you? I couldn't, I can't believe you ate of this apple. I can't believe, or we say the apple was really the fruit, you know, whatever the fruit was in the in the gospels. Eve, you ate of this fruit. Why? No, God doesn't even, even ask her. God turns to Adam and says first, Adam, what happened? Right? So letting Adam know you were supposed to protect this. Adam had the chance to answer. When Adam didn't answer, that's when Eve answered, right? So Adam says, Oh, the woman made me do it. He didn't stand up for his wife. Eve says, well, I don't have anybody to protect me to stand up for me. 
to help me here, to tell God that what we did was wrong. She turns to the snake. The snake made me do it. So it really, we have to ask ourselves as men, this is really the conversation for men, what's our role here? What's our role in the family? What's our role in society? What is it that God put us here to do? Why are we physically stronger? Why are we considered the head of the family and the providers? Well, it's not that we're the head of the family, the providers in the sense that we own the family or we are going to you know, be the overlords of the family or be the bossy ones of the family. God made us to protect the family. And that's really the bottom line. That's the key to all of this. We're supposed to be there to protect, to be present and to let to create peace in the family. We got to create that environment. Now, we know that moms are much better at nurturing. We say the mom was created to nurture. How do we know that? She carries the baby in the womb. She uses her own body to breastfeed the baby, to feed our generations. And what is it that men have to do? We have to create, help create that environment where that can happen. But let's look at this. I'm going to look at this as the National Fatherhood Initiative. It's a website, and it really promotes dads. And it's really talking about, and I like this website because in this world where we say, oh, there's misogyny, you know, men are bad, there's toxic masculinity. This website reminds us that, no, I think it's important that the father be in the home. How do we know? Well, if you go to this website, I'm going to put the link there. There's a few things uh, that they promote. And they say things like just the facts. Let me read a few of the of the, of the quotes that they bring about. Uh, just the facts. Involved dads improve their children's overall emotional and social well-being. So already a child needs their father around. That's what this initiative is telling us. Another one, children with involved dads are less likely to be mistreated. Lower abuse, why? Because they're learning from their dads how to grow up, how to be gentle beings, and how to use any form of aggressivity in a positive direction. What about children who live with their dads do better in school? How many times do we think about kids after school programs? What are our kids learning? Who is teaching our children? Here's another one. Adolescent and teen boys who live with their dads are less likely to carry guns and deal guns. Talk about safety and protective factors, right? If you live with your dad, you already feel protected. You're not going to have that need to feel like, boy, I need to be the aggressor. I need to be a bully or I need to always protect myself. You're going to have a softer view on things. Believe it or not, you know, this coming from people saying that men are toxic. Men actually seems like creates more peace in the household or we can. Dads, involved dads reduce mom's parenting stress. Hmm. What does this say about the abortion movement currently? If we, if we dads are involved in the home, if we're involved with moms, if we're caring for our children the same way, it doesn't take anything away from our masculinity to change a diaper, to feed our child, to carry them, to be there. And it gives mom a bit of a respite, reduces mom's stress. I think that that's what God meant for the family right? Two parents have to work together. There's a reason why there's a mom and a dad. There's two parents. Why is that? Because I think it's just all around better for the kids. It sounds pretty obvious. It sounds pretty logical, but where are the dads now? This is why I talk to the dads and say, where are we in our responsibility to our families? Where are our growing boys? Are we teaching our boys, hey, you should be saving sex until you're married, until you're, you know, from a Catholic perspective. Why? Because if you start doing this beforehand, not only are you going to maybe attach to the wrong person, somebody who you might regret attaching to emotionally, physically, and then wonder, should I have married this person or not? But then let's say that you do have a family. Let's say you find out that you, that the woman's pregnant now. Are you ready to carry on that responsibility? Or are we creating more situations where women will say, gosh, I'm all alone and I can't carry this child. What am I supposed to do? Listen to this. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.5 million, 19 million children, more than one in four, 
live without their father in their home. Children without their fa father in their home are 47% more likely to live in poverty. Isn't that one of the abortion arguments? That women are, are, are too impoverished to be able to carry their child, and it's better to have an abortion than to bring a child into a, a bad po uh, poverty-type situation? Well, where are the dads? Where are the dads that are supposed to be there? Men with absent fathers are more likely to become absent fathers themselves. Isn't that what I was just talking about? There's no dad there to teach a, a son how to how to channel his masculinity in a positive light, how to be a responsible dad. What's he going to do when all of a sudden he gets a woman pregnant? Is he going to say, gosh, we're, this is out of wedlock, but I got to show my responsibility? Or a lot of couples say, even if they're married, I don't know that I can have this child is the man going to be there to step up and say, of course, we're going to foster this child. Of course, I'm going to be here. We're going to figure out a way to create this environment. This is important to consider. Let me give you some other important facts about this. So 18.4 million children without a biological father, stepfather, or adoptive father at home. I already mentioned that. Again, this is all coming from uh, this website of the <clears throat> excuse me, of National Fatherhood Initiative, right? There's a four times greater risk of poverty if the, if the dad is absent, more likely to have behavioral problems in children, two times greater risk of infant mortality. Children are dying because the dad's not around. Why? Because he might not be there to help take care of them because the environment is not a, a positive one. Children are more likely to grow up and end up going to prison or commit a crime. Seven times more likely for a girl to become pregnant as a teen if she doesn't have her dad around. Let's think about that. A dad is a powerful force in the family, a powerful presence in the family. It should not be an abusive one, but there is a lot of power to being a dad. We're going to talk more about that when we come back from the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Mouse Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about what's going on in society with the topic of abortion. Lots going on. If you're watching the news lately, question about overturning Roe versus Wade. What is our Catholic perspective on that? There's a lot of fear as a lot of people have said, hey, we're going to start attacking Catholic churches, protesting Catholic churches. Uh, why the Catholic church? Again, we always claim to be the truth. We have faith that Christ and what Christ told us and that he left us a deposit of the faith that our the laws of God are to be followed as he taught us. And we are really ultimately the magisterium of the church is what carries that on. We're the ones who continue to carry on the mission of Christ as he let his apostles know, as he let St. Peter know as the first pope. Hey, this is what you need to do. You need to carry on this church. And remember, they're going to treat you as well as they treated me. And what happened to our Lord? What did he do for us? He ended up dying on that cross because he was speaking the truth and because people didn't like to hear the truth. He didn't shy away from it. He was arrested. He was questioned. He didn't argue too much. He just said, if this is what you're saying and you're going to you know, kill me for spreading the truth, not much I can do. That means that my father has allowed this. And that was ultimate faith. I think that's kind of where we need to be. You know, when we're going to look at these arguments, when we're going to look at these discussions and we're going to have them, at the end of the day, it's very simple. God made us men and women. And if we engage in intimate acts of intimacy together, the natural end of that is a pregnancy, is a new life. That's what's so powerful about intimacy. But one of the things that we see today is that if a mom and a dad have created a family and they've engaged in intimacy, all of a sudden society doesn't like that. They don't like 
you know, men and women having a nice nuclear family, this idea of a man and a woman uh, being at the head of the family, and more than anything else, the idea of the man being at the head of, of the family over his wife, that gets really, really tricky. It gets to be a very sensitive topic. Why? Because let's be honest, we don't, we haven't always carried out that well, guys, you know, as Catholic men, how well are we carrying out being the head of the family? How well are we saying, hey, I'm going to take care of and nurture this family without any abuse, without any uh, lording over everybody. I'm going to come home after work and make sure that, you know, everybody's taken care of. I'm going to ask everybody, how are you doing today? Is there anything you need from me? Ask my wife, what do you need from me? She says, gosh, I couldn't get to the dishes today. Am I going to complain and say that that's woman's work? Or am I going to say, you know, that's what needs to be done in the household. So maybe I'll help you out with that. Gosh, let me see what I need to do. Let's get things done. Why do we say that? You know, in society, I think one of the dangers is we've made different chores, shall we say, men's chores, women's chores. And the reality is it goes both ways. You know, people can say, argue and say, oh, a woman's places should not be in the kitchen. Yeah, but, you know, is a woman going to be willing to go, say, take care of the garden, mow the lawn, fix the cars if they need to, or work around the house? I'd say I think it's all open and fair game. I don't think that there's one chore for one person or the other. We're taking care of the household, and whoever can do one better and that should be, you know, your responsibility, whatever that is, whatever you enjoy doing. I know plenty of gals, you know, where I grew up, they loved working on cars. That was wonderful. I would ask them for advice. Hey, this is going on with the carburetor. This is going on with the brakes. How do you change them? It's it's wonderful to see. There's nothing wrong with that. We do assign gender roles to things like that and because things come more naturally to that. But what we don't assign gender roles to is being a dad and being a mom. Nature already dictated that. Who the dad is, who the mom is, that's already dictated by nature. Who's going to carry the baby and who's going to help to provide the baby and be the head of the family? Whether we like it or not, that's just the natural law. There's nothing we can do about that one. Um, but how do we carry that out? You know, let's read St. Paul. This is a tough one to read. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33. It's a tough one to read because sometimes we don't get past the whole scripture passage to understand what are we doing as a family? Because when the family breaks down, that's when I believe that topics like abortion come up, topics about, oh, I, I need to have my own rights or your rights. And we stop looking out for each other. We stop thinking, how can I lift my wife up? This one's for the dads, even though it talks about the moms. But listen to this passage. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. A lot of people stop there and they say, oh, no, I don't think so. I have to submit to my husband and everything. Are you kidding me? Well, first of all, let's just say that you got to pick a good husband. You got to pick somebody who you ultimately trust to lead you and the family. Why? Because he carries a heavy responsibility. A lot of times we read this and we think, oh, I just got to do whatever my husband says. That's not the case necessarily. The question is, husbands, are we leading our wives closer to heaven? And if we are, usually that means that we have to do a lot of self-sacrifice. I think about this because it talks about Christ as the head of the church. Well, let's move on. What am I supposed to do for my wife? How am I supposed to leave my family? Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the world and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle of, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Which means that everything that Christ did for the church, 
He obviously died for the church. He gave himself up for the church. He served the church. What did he teach his apostles at the Last Supper? He washed their feet. Am I washing my wife's feet? That's what I'm supposed to do, technically speaking. Am I at the service of my children? Am I washing their feet? Now I'm not talking about literally washing their feet, but am I at their service? Am I willing to stop and say, what can I do for you today? Can I put myself aside, my needs aside, and just serve you because I am the head of the family here and I got to make sure that you are all taken care of? Do we have that perspective? I think if we had more families with that perspective, we'd be talking a whole lot less of abortion and a whole lot more about how are we taking care of each other? Why is it that women don't feel cared for or nurtured? Well, let's keep reading. Um, in the same way, husbands ought to love ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Why is that important? Well, it sure sounds like we're telling the wives what to do. I read this a little bit differently. I read it as we're telling the husbands what to do. If I'm going to read this, I'm going to say, yeah, you have to respect me. Well, what if somebody told me I had to respect somebody else? What if somebody told me as a husband, hey, you have to respect the priest in your church. Well, guess what? I'm going to look to see how well is that priest a respectable person. If I have to respect the priest in my church, am I going to stick around in a church where the priest is not respectable? I'm going to look for a church where I find a Catholic church where I think that's a respectable priest. That's who I trust. I trust him wholeheartedly so I can relax. In fact, since he's leading me so well, I'm going to trust him to lead me. I'm going to listen to what he says because I know that he's a, a holy man, a godly man, somebody who knows his scriptures, somebody who speaks for Christ and not himself. And now I can relax and do my part because I feel well taken care of. That's the responsibility we have, guys. This is what I read here. A wife must respect her husband. I got to ask myself, am I respectable as a husband? Am I the kind of husband that my wife says, boy, thank God I'm coming home to him because I know that he's taking care of business. I know that he's a godly man, that he's praying. And whatever he's doing is really for the greater glory of God. So I'm going to trust him wholeheartedly. That's really the key because I think this is where us guys have failed, where we think, oh, she's supposed to respect me because I'm the man, because I'm in charge, because God put me in charge. Yeah, there's a responsibility to that. How many of us guys like to have a boss who is not respectable? But how many of us think, hey, that guy's pretty fair. I like working for that guy. I like coming to work because that guy, you know, even though I don't like the job maybe or there's things to do, but I know that he's taking care of people. He's not doing this for selfish reasons. He gave out bonuses. He came around and told us what a good job we're doing. He helped me improve my job without making me feel bad. And I really feel taken care of by this company, by this, by this boss, right? Now, as husbands, we're not our wives' bosses right? We're not supposed to tell them what to do, but am I creating an environment where the wife feels safe, where she feels respected, where she feels like she can do her job as a mom um, and do it in, a, in an environment where she's cared for? Let's look at this. So I read about what happens with kids with involved dads or if dads aren't involved, but from the same initiative, why involved dads are good for moms. I thought this was important, right? What happens here? We always talk about the kids. Well, a mom's not going to want to keep her kids. This is where a woman might say, I'd rather have an abortion than have that man's baby, right? Things happen. And we can argue, well, why'd you get pregnant by him in the first place? We're not going to go down that road in this show. That's a different show. But the reality is, 
if a mom doesn't feel like the dad's respectable, what's she going to do? She might end up saying, I don't want to have anything to do. I don't want to create a family with this person. As guys, are we carrying ourselves in a way that our wives are going to be proud of us as husbands? Let's read what it says. If you have an involved dad, this is why they're good for moms. Mothers reap a host of benefits when fathers are involved during pregnancy and in raising their children. Now, to me, this sounds pretty obvious, right? A father involved with their children and raising and, and I'm sorry, involved during pregnancy and raising their children. Sounds like there's no other question about it. But remember, we're talking about what happens when us dads aren't involved. Well, when we are involved, when we're involved with mom, mom is more likely to receive prenatal care. And she's taking care of the baby. Just like I said before, as soon as you find out you're pregnant, you're not going to go receive prenatal care if you're not excited about forming a family with someone. But if you are, you're going to go take care of this baby. You're going to realize, oh, I'm pregnant. I better go call my doctor. In fact, I want them to do an ultrasound now. I want answers now. I'm going to be a mom, right? If you have any doubts about that, ask anybody who hasn't been able to conceive. Ask anybody who's had a hard time conceiving a baby. And boy, will she tell you that as soon as she found out she was pregnant, that was a baby. That's what she's going to tell you. There's no question about that. If that's, again, women have a lot of power. If that's what she wanted, if she doesn't want a baby, eh, it's a different story. Guys who are involved, dads who are involved, spouses who are involved with their wives, wives are less likely to smoke during pregnancy. Why? Because they feel supported and they know that they're gearing up towards making a family. They want to have a healthy baby. Moms have healthier births, lower risk of postpartum stress. Postpartum stress is a real deal. It's a big deal. Uh, in today's society, there's so much pressure on women to be the CEO of the company, to work, and to be a mom, and to have a baby, and to make sure that you better get a babysitter right away because you got to get back to work. Well, that's not the way nature intended. Nature intended for mom to take care of her babies. You know how hard it can be for some moms to say, gosh, after six weeks, right after I had the baby, I had to go back to work, couldn't afford it. It causes a lot of stress, causes a lot of depression, get a lot of postpartum type situations where all of a sudden you might need treatment for depression and stress and you're not attentive to your child, how healthy is that going to be child, how that child is going to be if they don't have an attentive mom? That's going to be really, really challenging. So lower risk of postpartum stress, lower risk of postpartum depression, lower parenting stress because the buddy system is the way to go. God gave us a natural buddy system. There's no question about it. He said, you're the dad, you're the mom, you guys are in this together. You guys have to figure it out. It's the natural buddy system. More leisure time, of course, because if you have the dad involved and mom involved, we can share the stress. We can share the burden of taking care of the baby. Mom's going to have time to do her thing. And lastly, pretty obvious, higher merit, marital satisfaction. I think that when we got married, when we got together, let's say people, what if somebody's not married? Well, you got together with somebody. The idea was we loved each other, I hope, at some point. The idea was that we're going to be in this together. And all of a sudden, if we're not, that's going to be a problem. Dads, we need to create this environment, not just for our spouses, but so that our children and future generations can see how is it that we raise a good family? How do we keep a good family? And how do we keep from getting to the point where we feel like, maybe I don't want this. Family. Let's think about that. Let's keep it Catholic. And let's think like it. Until next week, this is Dr. Sandler.